All right, so hi everyone. Uh, as Scott said, I'm Tash, and I'm one of the young adults here, and I'm also one of the youth leaders here. So if any of you have sort of high school age children, um, you probably see us very briefly on a Friday night. <laughs> um, it's such a privilege to be speaking to you all today, um, and thank you to Belle and Scott for sort of entrusting me with this, even though last time we spoke, I was like, oh, I still don't really know what I'm talking about. And they were like, cool, 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 cool. Um, so hopefully for, for your sake, their faith will pay off in that respect. <laughs> Um, and as always, huge thanks to God who's given me some words to impart today, and, and I hope that I do them justice. Um, and also, side note, he has a fantastic sense of humour, and he certainly works well between the hours of about midnight and 4am, I think, so, <laughs> um, so if I, you know, nap off, I apologise as well. <laughs> Um, also, I repel technology and today I've been hooked up with like a new mic and I thought I'd save a tree by using like the iPad. So again, if something goes horribly wrong, I apologise in advance. <laughs> um, today's message is one for all the humans in the room, which I imagine is most of us here. Um, and, you know, speaking as a fellow human myself, um, you're already pre-forgiven if a nap suddenly and unexpectedly takes you in the next 20 or so minutes. Um, but for those keen to sort of play along with me as we go, um, a fittingly vague title for today to keep you all sort of guessing um, would be something like Humans of Heaven or Humans of Love or Thereabouts. Now, I'm sure this isn't only for me, but I sort of consider myself a bit of an introvert who's sort of stumbled into a career which necessitates that I do a lot of human interaction, unfortunately, for the people I have to interact with. <laughs> Um, so I know it, it should be no surprise that like living on an island of all places, on a small blue planet where there's like, you know, 8 billion people in total, you know, it shouldn't surprise us that we have to occasionally bump into a few of these people. But the reality is when we do happen to bump into someone, if you like, perhaps half of these encounters or even more, maybe depending on who you bump into, leave us sort of scratching our heads and thinking like, God, do you think they would have been better off on a different planet? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> um, you know, but of course, none of you are likely to be those sorts of humans. <laughs> but by the law of averages, you've probably met some of them. So I'm sure you get what I mean. <laughs> now, I am, of course, sort of joking. Um, but it is true that humans can bring us a lot of joy as well as a lot of challenges. And recently, I found myself contemplating what it really is to be human then. And we actually really like commenting on whether people are human or not, which you'd think would be quite obvious, but um, I certainly do it. I say it about myself. I say, like, I'm only human, when, like, that should be obvious to most people. But it's generally, like, sort of wielded as an excuse or, like, um, a justification. Like, what did they expect? Like, I couldn't have done all that. I'm just a human. But obviously, I'm a human. But we also like to say about other people when it is, again, you know, exceedingly obvious that they are human. But it's normally, it actually comes a lot around the Olympics, which we're on at the moment, you know, hop on to Channel 7. They didn't pay me for that, but you should. Um, we like to sort of, we see someone do something incredible generally. It's like an athlete, like an extreme feat. And then you do like the press conference afterwards and they actually turn out to be like really down to earth, really normal, or they're like really emotional. And so we say like, oh, that's so nice, like they seem much more human now. Like, oh, they, they are just a human like me. Of course they are, like, what, what did we expect? We like to, you know, check the human box occasionally with ourselves and with others. But what do we mean by they're only human? We're only human, I'm just a human. Well, to me, to be a human, to be me, is to be a little bit broken, 
very much imperfect. You know, to have a heart that's beating, hopefully, well, <laughs> lungs that are breathing. Um, but then to also, you know, that's not really the whole, the complete idea of what makes me, me. I'd like to think of something more. As humans, we're quite tied to the present, like to the here and now, um, unless we're like watching a Marvel movie and then we feel like we can sort of venture around time a bit. But we believe in this omnipresent God who's you know, outside of space and time but chooses to be with us in the here and now, right here, right now, in this room, right here with us. But if we are to take being human at its most literal, as mere you know, flesh, blood, beating hearts, breathing lungs, that sort of thing, then seemingly by chance we are here. We're made for this world, just here. We're living it out. But then if we just take that at its most literal, we just have to take you know, sunsets as just colours that are there by chance too. There's no beauty, they're just, they're just there. Um, you know, our emotions, the things that we feel, are just chemicals by chance flowing through us. Who knows what they'll do? And sometimes the effects are a little bit like that, but we think something more. You know, without the God aspect, humanity is just of very little consequence. We're just doing our thing, running around, and that may be quite a depressing thought for your Sunday morning. But to be human as God intended it to be, his initial creation, is to be so much more and of so much more consequence. You know, we're called to be organs, members in the body of Christ. And, and the world kind of has a way of making us think that to be members is to be like all the same, units repeated, so many of them. But it's more organs in that bodily sense, you know, as in there's a heart, there's a lung, you know, you've got a liver, and they all have a different function. They all have a different purpose, which means that if you were to remove one member of that body, if you were to remove, say, your liver, I wouldn't recommend it, but, you know, get a good surgeon, who knows, then not only have you just reduced the number of organs in your body by one, you've also completely changed the function, the design, you've probably damaged it if it is your liver. And so we are flesh and blood, yes. We're organs in a body, but we have this life in our bones. And with Christ in our hearts, we can be truly human. Now, that got too deep too quickly. Let's take a quick step back. So Jesus tells us in the Gospels that if we want to enter the kingdom of God, then we must do it as if we were little children. So even if you've just sent your child off to dive and you don't want to think about them for 20 minutes, I apologize. But let us consider humanity now through the eyes of our children. So in 2018, there was a, a state of the kid survey done in the US. It's from like a slightly dodgy website, but it does seem to be legitimate. But they asked children what superpowers they would have if they were to be superhuman. And um, the top three responses, I don't know if you can all sort of guess, but number one was flying. 27% of kids wish they could fly, which is fair enough. 10% of kids wanted to be, like, have the power of invisibility, hopefully not all the time. And then the third response was to have like, mind control, like to be able to move things with your mind or read minds, that sort of thing. And healing was actually quite a hit too, which is sort of good. So if kids think that superhumans fly, can be invisible, have really powerful minds, then sort of by natural progression, humans, who are not so super, must generally not be able to fly, most of the time should be visible, um, and have other weaknesses, including of their minds. 
But why is this though? Like, I mean, I asked Jess last night just to like double check that we were, you know, on the same page about superhumans. And she also said that flying would be pretty fantastic because it's like that freedom. And she was like, oh, you know, it's like being a bird up there. I was like, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe we're visible so that we learn to have compassion, so that we can't hide the parts of ourselves that we don't like and we can't not see the parts of other people that we also don't like. You know, maybe we are you know, not able to fly because it forces us to struggle along you know, on earthly ground, <laughs> as luck would have it. You know, maybe in many ways, compared to superhumans, we are limited, we are broken, but Jesus says that through our weakness, he finds his greatest strength. This is from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So thank goodness that we aren't superhuman. And so therefore, we, we need to kind of rejoice in this humanly weakness because it's where Christ's power really rests in us and on us. So in the creation story, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, um, at the end of the sixth day of creation, we're told that God creates mankind in his own image. And the original Hebrew for the image of God, like this whole like, theological you know, passage about all these things and, and the different words and where they come up, but you know, essentially it's like image o dei in Latin when you translate, and it quite literally means like the image of a, of a deity, the image of God. But to be made in God's image, it's not something that we have as like a possession. It's not something that therefore can be taken away from us. It, it is us. Like it's what, what makes us who we are. And it's the part of mankind that distinguishes humanity as you know, him whom God loves, him whom God dwells in and with. So in Ephesians chapter 4, um, we read, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this suggests that while perhaps the image that we project of God, our likeness to him, may be a little bit dimmed and diminished by the world and by circumstances, by our own sin, there is hope for that new creation in Christ that we can restore this likeness of him, this humanity, to its true glory and intended glory. And I know I can speak for myself and say there are certainly many times, too many times, <laughs> at least too many to count, where I've certainly not represented or reflected the true image of God. But because of his you know, unending mercy, there is promise that we can return to that full humanity, you know, that we can experience some sort of brightening, if you like, of that image that we're supposed to project. Look, look at the humans you've bumped into this morning. I mean, these people have been, you know, brought into your life, whether you like it or not, today. C.S. Lewis also had some incredible words of wisdom here. You know, you've never met an ordinary person. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Just let that sink in. You know, all these people you thought you were talking to, you thought they were just people. They weren't. It's immortals that we joke with, smile at, laugh with, love. Snub, walk to the other side of the road, ignore. You know, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors is how he puts it. Your neighbor is amongst the most holy object presented to your senses. And, I'll just let that sink in, no mere humans. In fact, if you've encountered a Christian, then in them you've encountered Christ himself. You know, God knit you 
and you and you and all of us and everyone you've ever actually met and could imagine to meet you know, in your mother's womb. He knows them intimately, even if they perhaps don't know him intimately. He, the creator of the universe, the painter of those sunsets we spoke about, you know, he's the conqueror of death, he's a friend when all else fail. He knows you and he knows every single human that you could ever possibly meet or run into. That same God, in spite of all of our failings, all of our sin, all of the faults that are unlovable, loves you. And he loves every other person you could ever possibly meet or interact with. It doesn't stop there. It's a, it's a sacrificial love. It's love with a capital L, for as we said, God himself is love. This is a love so deep that it like calls to us, it like cuts through all of the sin and all of the hurdles that the enemy and the world puts in our way. And it cries out to something deep within us. And we feel it when we feel that presence coming on. It's something out of this world and something that we're not really fully equipped to deal with sometimes. It's this yearning for something greater, something more, something that as humans we were created for. So, Paul to the Corinthians writes, and now these three, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And it's not only Paul saying this, but Jesus himself. You know, at the Last Supper, after washing the disciples' feet in an incredible display of servant-heartedness, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But which of those eight billion humans that we could bump into shall we love? Well, conveniently, the Bible holds answers for us there too. So in Matthew 22, Jesus commands, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no qualifiers there. It's not love your Christian neighbor or love your Australian neighbor or love any particular neighbor. Just love your neighbor. And there's a, you know, one of the scribes or the experts in the Jewish law, he's like, I can get Jesus here. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, being Jesus, instead of just giving him an answer, is like, oh, let me tell you a parable. <laughs> and he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I think from some of the nods, most people know it well. Quick summary, we've got like an Israelite walking from Jerusalem and he gets kind of attacked on the road, he's left for dead. And then some of his fellow countrymen pass him by. It's a priest and a Levite and they just leave him for dead. Couldn't, well, they, we, they, we, know, we don't know. They may have had really good reason for doing so, but they, they didn't help him. And then a Samaritan comes along who's like sort of this disdained, you know, culturally different, religiously different, and, and makes the decision to help. And then sort of Jesus at the end says, well, then who of these was a neighbor to that man? And the scribe says, well, the, the one who had mercy on him. So therefore, our neighbor is, is not necessarily someone whom we agree with. It's not someone who's necessarily like us or who we even like. It's possibly anyone whom you could ever encounter, even those who said, I seem to be your enemies. And so in 1 John we read, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is really a call to, to love your fellow human. That by seeking and acting with the heart of God, by loving them, for God is love, 
we can be restored to that full humanity. So let this be an invitation today to go out and embrace not being human by earthly standards, not just you know being there, going through the motions, flesh and blood, that sort of thing, but you're called to be a human by heaven's standards, for that is what you were intended for and created for. May we take on that challenge and live as if we really believe it to be true, because as we said, like, you know, every interaction, it's not just someone else going through the motions either. It's someone whom God intimately knows, intimately loves, and died to save. Now, how do we do this in practice? I mean, people are unlovable, that's true. But the thing is that God isn't looking for lovable things in us either. We're all, in some ways, unlovable. So just because we see that in someone else, it's about loving that unlovable. It's about loving them for the purpose that they were made. It's about loving them because God loves them. Because he said, love your neighbor. And everyone can be our neighbor. You know, Jesus calls us to forgive 70 times seven times in spite of wrongs committed against you. He says to show mercy in place of taking revenge. For just as his mercies never cease, and great is his faithfulness, he calls us to faithfully run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So may we run that race. May we love our neighbor. May we love our human because we see them as more than the world sees humans. They're not just another person running around on the globe with us. They're our neighbor. So let us go forth. Let's summon our real humanity, costly though it may seem to us, challenging though it may seem to us, painful at times it may seem to us. Let's think about our little interactions, little smiles, you know, little words, opening the door for someone, letting them on the bus in front of you. For in humans, Christ also dwells. And you know, from the corner of, of this universe, from this room, God is calling out to his humans <laughs> that he loves them. And so can we seek that, pursue that, and listen to that, and help the humans around us to do the same? Because God's crying out to all. And if you've heard him, then you can help him to do that. Shepherd his sheep. So, Lord, may we have the courage to keep on loving our fellow humans in spite of the challenges we may face. May we love them regardless of what they can actually offer in return just as we really have nothing to offer you by ourselves. Lord, may you just rest on our hearts and may you help us to see you and the work you're doing in everyone we meet. May we continue to be reminded of that heavenly goal for which we run, the race that you've prepared for us. May you help us to see past everything that the earth or that the enemy throws at us and may we keep our eyes fixed on you and your commandments to love you and to love our neighbor, Father. Lord, may you just be with us and may you help us to find that humanity, that idea of being in communion with you, in the garden, dwelling with you as humans were intended to be. And so Jesus also you know, finishes with that idea of whatever you do for the least of my brothers and sisters, you did also for me. So let us go forth and do this for anyone we see, the least of these humans or what we deem to be least, because there we do it for Christ. And we're part of the mission of God. 
so I'm not necessarily very good at the optical. <laughs> but if you would like to receive some prayer and just come forward in God's presence and really, I suppose, find and challenge your notion of what it means to be human and just let him overflow onto you all of his promises and goodness for you, then please come forward. I'd love to pray with you, and I'm sure there are lots of people who would. You know, maybe just go forth today. Don't forget your kids if they're over at Chive as well, because childlike is good for the kingdom of God, good to be around. Come forward. Experience the fullness of what humanity was intended for, because it's so much more than, than the way that we see humans living in the world. You're created for so much more, each and every one of us. And take a look around again at your fellow humans and how wonderful they are. They are perfectly, fearfully and wonderfully made and God loves them. And so we are called to do the same. So please come forward and bless you all today and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.